1208, this is Jeff Wagner. I freely admit I am dragging a little bit today, but it is all in a good cause. Um, you might have seen some of this on television. It was a very, very cool event. Uh, this is Armed Forces Week in, in Milwaukee. And last night was the Milwaukee Armed Forces Dinner. Um, it's held every year at the Wisconsin Club. I was the MC. I've been the MC for a number of years, and it's just an incredibly cool event. the The lead speaker they packed the ballroom down at the Wisconsin Club. the The lead speaker was Lieutenant General Dan Leaf, who um, has pretty much been everywhere and done. He's a Wisconsin guy, and he's pretty much done been everywhere and done everything there is to do um, in in the military and interesting sort of stories and just an inspirational sort of guy. Um, I had an opportunity to introduce Governor Walker, Bob Euchre. Euchre was there. He he won the uh, the ninth annual uh, support, Citizen Support for Our Armed Forces Award. And so anytime you're in a room with Bob, it's just, it's just, it's funny. I, one of the lines, the way he started off his speech is before, before he played professional baseball, he he was in the military, and he's telling the story about how he he's down at the the induction thing, and they come around. He's sitting next to a buddy of his, and they come around and, and they ask. They say, "Okay, is anybody did anybody here play college baseball?" And and Euchre looks at his buddy and says, "What? Well, why don't we we say yes?" And the guy says, "Well, we can't do that." And so Euchre says, he raises his hand and says, "Yeah, I, I played college baseball." And they say, "Where?" And the guy says, "Marquette." Well, okay, Euchre says, "Marquette." Well, Marquette doesn't have a baseball team, but they didn't know that. And his buddy says, well, I'm not going to say anything. So Euchre says, two weeks later, my buddy gets sent to Korea, and, and I get drafted to play. You know, I'm on the, I'm on the post-baseball team instead. But, um, you know, it was real interesting. I mean, Bob got the award for just all the stuff he's done for the military over the years, and it's very, very well-deserved. Like I say, I had an opportunity to introduce Governor Walker. Um, it really kind of was a, a who's who of... Uh, people in in public service um, got a chance to see my old friend George Petak. We would not have Miller Park were it not for George Petak casting the deciding vote. Ended up losing in a recall election as a result of that. But every time you go to a baseball game, um, you really should thank George Petak for that. And he was there last night. We had uh, the two Republican candidates for U.S. Senate, Leah Vukmir and Kevin Nicholson, had a chance to talk to both of them. I will tell you, for people who are thinking perhaps that as a result of the Republican convention over the weekend and the endorsement of Leah Vukmir, that now Leah is clearly energized and she's you know using momentum from that as she continues her campaign. Um, Kevin Nicholson is not going anywhere. <laughs> it's very clear to me from the conversations and. As I've said on the radio, I don't. I don't think he should. I think this is. I, I don't know who the. They're both great candidates. I don't know which one of them will be best positioned to be the candidate against uh, Tammy Baldwin in November. And I think that's going to play out over the course of the next couple months. So that's um, this campaign is just getting started. Um, we we had during the news uh, Peter Barca, who used to be what, twenty years ago the congressman um, who represented the district that Paul Ryan went on to represent. He said he's not running. I um, had an opportunity to spend a lot of time with. He was sitting at my table. Um, Brian Style, who is the guy that is, he will be the Republican nominee for that spot. And I, I will tell you this: an incredibly, incredibly impressive young man. We'll um, actually we'll we'll be sure to get him on the program a couple times as time moves on. But th- th- if you liked Paul Ryan, you you will like Brian Style. There's just no question about it. Very very well spoken. Very very smart. Very very sincere. Um, he is a great 
he will be a great replacement for Paul Ryan, and I, I will predict right now he's going to win in November. Um, another person I had a chance to talk to, Gary Wetzel, who is, of course, um, just renowned in military circles. Gary, a, a Medal of Honor recipient. He was at the table next to me. And then a ton of local elected officials. The Brewers had a table, all sorts of great stuff. But it was just an absolutely, absolutely wonderful event. I know a lot of the TV stations covered it, especially because of, of Bob Euchre getting the award. And if you saw it on TV, it was, um, it was just great. I would encourage people who have an interest in the military um, look into this. It, it sold out, and it sold out extremely quickly, but uh, they do this every year, and the organizers do an absolutely tremendous job. And on behalf of my wife and I, thanks so much for inviting us there. All right, let us get started. Uh, I, I mentioned this briefly yesterday, and I've kind of decided it, it might be worth a little bit more examination because I am curious as to how you react to this. The Milwaukee County Board is apparently poised to pass a new county ordinance which would set up basically change jars at the airport checkpoints. And the idea is that they want to encourage people who are going onto planes, boarding planes. And at Mitchell Airport, There's now we're down to two gates that they use. What is it, the C and the D gates you know, for, for flights. They no longer use the, the one gate. There's not enough coming in and out of Milwaukee. So there's two gates that they use. The idea would be, as you begin to go through the gates, where you're going to go through the security checkpoint, you know, and you've got to take your wallet and your car keys and your phone out of your car and all, what they would do is set up containers, and essentially, we would start panhandling. The idea would be it would encourage people to take whatever change they have in their pockets and put it in the containers. And the idea would be this spare change that people would give would then be used to help the, the homeless. So now they wouldn't have like a homeless guy wearing a cardboard sign or maybe Chris Abley would be there wearing a cardboard sign, you know, shaking the can. But the idea would be we're going to you know, ask people to make donations in this particular fashion. They would model this on, on Denver, which has apparently been doing this for a couple years, and Denver, which is a much bigger airport, but Denver averages about ninety two grand a year in donations, spare change that people give, and the idea is you know, give, give to the homeless. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What do you think of this idea is this a, an easy convenient way to you know raise a little bit of money for the cause of homelessness now keep in mind this is sponsored again by the county or does this give perhaps a, a wrong impression of the city of Milwaukee presumably a lot of the people that are going and Milwaukee County presumably a lot of the people that are going to be you know, getting on airplanes and stuff or, or business people who are going to be coming in as Foxconn takes off. You would think that, you know, passenger traffic is going to increase. Um, the, the idea of, of essentially donation bins panhandling for homeless people as done by Milwaukee County at the airport, does it send sort of the wrong message? Alternatively, if we're going to beg change from people, all right, why are we begging change for this cause as opposed to other causes? 
414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Does this strike you as odd, or is this a good way to raise money for a worthwhile cause? 414-799-1620. I'll tell you where I come down on this in just a moment, but I'm curious as to what you think. We're back with your calls in just a moment. It's 1217. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1219, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Bill in Oconomowoc asks the interesting question. So, if we're going to do this at the airport, why stop there? How about Miller Park, the zoo, the domes, etc.? Where would it stop? He raises an interesting point. I think he's got his tongue firmly planted in his cheek. But, yeah, I mean, if, if we're going to set up containers at the security checkpoints at the airport begging for change, why, why are we stopping there? Why don't we just have big, giant change containers all over Milwaukee County asking for people to donate money? 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Dave in Waukesha. Hi, Dave. Hey, Jeff. How you doing? <laughs> well, thank you. I think it's goofy, to <laughs> be perfectly honest. I mean, it's, it's kind of like, okay, supposedly, you know, with the Foxconn thing and all the stuff, you know, with the North, New Northwestern Mutual and, and just and the whole Bucks Arena and everything else, right. we're supposedly theoretically under a renaissance. It doesn't, <laughs> I mean, it kind of makes us look like, Yes. Panhandling. <laughs> well, that's, that's what it is. It is, it is, it is essentially panhandling. Well, it is, I mean, it yeah, is, uh, all we need is somebody standing there with a cardboard sign around their neck saying homeless, and it would be exactly like what happens on the intersections. <laughs> exactly. Well, yeah. And then the <laughs> other part is, is honestly, who really believes that just because they say it's for the homeless, it's not going to get politically rated? Yeah, that's well. That's the thing, and and I guess my other question would be, and you know, I'm sure other people get into this in just a minute. If if we agree that this is a good idea, if we agree with that, what? Why are we limiting this to the homeless? Why don't we? You know, why aren't we doing other sort of things too? I mean, there's there's all sorts of other causes that. Uh, how, how about money for the parks? How about money? Well, you know, for the environment, whatever. Well, yeah, exactly. Where's it gonna? Yeah, where's it gonna end? And uh, I mean, look at the fervor that went up for putting parking meters by the, what was it, down by the lakefront or whatever it was. I mean, that was... Right. Okay. So, so you just think it gives a... Uh, you just think it looks bad. I think goofy is a is a pretty descriptive term for it. Yeah. No, th- I mean, I'm, thanks. I mean, see, that's actually what it is, too. I mean, it's, it's, it is the, the county begging. You know, I mean, the county is essentially, if they do this, we will become, we being the county, the taxpayers... I'm sorry, I don't live in Milwaukee County anymore. You who live in Milwaukee County will essentially be... Panhandlers. Now, nobody is making you know people put their money in there, and I guess that would be the object. But my question then would be: Seriously, if this is going to be a good idea, why why stop? Why limit it to the security checkpoints? You know, as you're going into the various concourses, why not why not put them all over? Let's see. Here's a text. Terrible impression. Um, uh, but, but then again, so are the aggressive panhandlers, or on the street, or at intersections. Please don't uh, endorse begging of any kind. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's talk to Richard in Milwaukee. Richard, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. I got two thoughts on this. One is that it's going to speed things up in the line as you're waiting to go through the checkpoint because that person that just went through is going to have to dig their change out of the bin to get it back in their pocket if they donated it. And why can't it be a charity of the month? It doesn't have to just go to the homeless. It could go to somebody else and advertise it that way, and you know, it makes the county kind of look good that they are supporting things and trying to speed things up to get through lines. So you would say just pick a, a cause a month, like, okay, this is going to be for, 
the humane April will be for the Humane Society right. or kind of like the Brewers do for their raffles where mm-hmm. they do it. Right. When, you know, May, May will be Breast Cancer Awareness Month or whatever. We're gonna raise, we're gonna get money and we're gonna donate it to you know some medical cause or something like that. Correct. Okay. Thanks. Now, I, that's I mean that's I, I think that's a, a factor as as well. If you're going to do it, I, I still go back to my basic premise though. I just I, I wonder what this makes us look like. Now, I understand that that some places I understand that some places do it, but. To me, this seems to me to, to be panhandling, and I, I'm wondering how business people coming in and out of town would look at something like this and say, "Okay, um, you know, what's how does this how does this play in? This is really what this community's doing. They, they've come to the point that they're begging change from you know people who are coming in from out of town." so that they can take care of their various problems. And maybe that's the reality. Maybe Milwaukee County is in such dire need that we've gotten to that point. Let's talk to Ron in Oak Creek. Hi, Ron. You're on WTMJ. Yes, yes. Um, Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. uh, Actually, I I don't have a problem with it. I was, as I was telling your screener, I was a couple of years ago, I was out in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. Uh, They had the similar uh, setup. And uh, also in Europe, in, in Munich, actually, at the airport, they have a similar, you know, for Americans and whoever that are uh, returning to the U.S., they have extra euros. They dump them in this uh, large container, it's a mm-hmm. glass container, and it's actually impressive to see just how much money people are, you know, donating. Mm-hmm. Actually, you know? I, I'm, so, not, I'm not. I'm not. I don't know about Europe. I'm not surprised San Francisco's doing. It. <laughs> you know, San Francisco and Denver. See, if this was coming out of San Francisco or Denver or maybe Portland, I. I I, I could see that. Um, so you don't have a problem with it. You don't think it makes us kind of look cheap? Not really. No, no, because it, it's they're not. It's no sign to say they're, it's, they're that you're actually begging. It's you know you walk by it and uh, and if you want to, you do. If you yeah. don't, there's no big deal. You yeah. know. It's, okay. Well, I think. Know? I mean, and that's clearly the idea. I mean, the the idea is. You know, we, people will have some change in their pocket, and maybe they'll throw some in. And, and I, I think that might, in fact, happen. Now, again, I I think, though, if you really wanted to try to juice this up, maybe you could get members of the county board and the county executive to, to kind of take shifts standing there asking for money. Let's see. Uh, maybe the county should think this is a text. Maybe the county should think about having a bake sale. <laughs> um, let's see. Another person. I'm going bald and need money for a wig. Can we set up a bucket for me? Well, no, no, no. You know, you you are not going to be individuals are not going to be allowed to panhandle inside the airport. This would simply be government sanctioned panhandling. My guess, my guess is this will in fact pass. The question then is going to be, are we going to really raise that much money? And don't have to do it, but I do kind of wonder. I still wonder for the businessmen flying in. Um, is this going to be the image that we really want to convey? And how much money is this really going to raise? I guess we'll see. When we come back, what the hell is the matter with people? Stick around. 1226, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 1228, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. With the latest Supreme Court rulings, states now have the ability to greenlight sports gambling. How will this change the way we digest sports? Will it change anything at all? Greg Matzik wants to hear your thoughts tonight. Sports Central, 707. Before I forget, my very best friend, it's his birthday today. For, as, he, as, as I likely frequently point out, um, 
for one day. He is now three years older than I am. Never let him forget that. So happy birthday, Evan. All right. If you want to see what we are going to be talking about in just a couple moments, if you if you have not seen this, this has been, I hate the phrase going viral because it is such a cliche, but this has gone viral. They are, okay, Great Britain where they have the, the soccer riots and the soccer hooligans and things like that, they are making fun of Wisconsin in Great Britain because of, of this. If you want to see the film, the video of this, you can text me the word DELS, plural, right? D-E-L-L-S, right? DELS. D-E-L-L-S, text me that. If you haven't seen this, I, I will send you the link to the video. A PG-13 rated warning. There, There is bad language in this, but it is the video of the knockdown, drag out, Pier 6 brawl that broke out over the weekend at one of the happiest places in the world, a water park, Mount Olympus Water Park in the Wisconsin Dells. If you text me the word Dells, D-E-L-L-S, if you haven't seen the video, I will send you the link to it. When we come back, we are going to discuss that, and I ask the incredibly profound and deep question, what the hell is the matter with people? It's 1235, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right. Um, this happened, by the way, on, on Mother's Day. All right. Now, I can I understand. There's, I'm sure that many of you, you know, spent Mother's Day with, you know, the various mothers that you're in life. Maybe it's your mom. You know, maybe it's that woman who happens to be the mother of your children. But generally speaking, what do people do on Mother's Day? Well, they, you know, you, you get together. Maybe there's a family cookout. Maybe you go out to eat. That's a big weekend at restaurants. You go out to the nice Mother's Day brunch or whatever. But regardless, it's a time to sit and really think about the moms in our lives and how much they mean to us. So this all happened at the Mount uh, at Mount Olympus, the Mount Olympus Water and Theme Park, which is Lake Delton, kind of out in the in the Dells. If you have never been there before, this is one of these kind of mega, mega water, uh, mega water parks. Um, they've got indoor and outdoor pools. They've got roller coasters. They've got go karts. They've got other stuff. They have a. Um, in some respects, it, it kind of sort of reminds me in a way of 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 Caesar's Palace. They've got a in, in Las Vegas. They've got a Roman Colosseum. They've got a Trojan horse that are there. So it's a family sort of thing. Now, in this video, what you see happen is a, a I want to say brawl. And, and that is exactly the word that describes this. I mean, if you and I was using this analogy earlier when I was talking to Steve Scafidi and Eric Bilstadt. I used to I used to go to the All Star Wrestling things, you know, the old American Wrestling Association, the the wrestling things at the old Milwaukee Arena, and they'd have every once in a while they'd have what they call battle royals, and they'd bring in fifteen or twenty different wrestlers, and these these guys would just be you know walking around the ring wailing on on each other, with the idea being to throw somebody over the top rope. Okay, now that was you know was was fake in the sense that you know the winner was was predetermined. This video looks exactly like one of those old battle royals. You see people just walking around this giant commons area, and they're punching each other. 
They're throwing objects. I mean, you can see trash cans being thrown at each other. Somebody's got a chair in there banging the chair on the other person. I mean, there's people, there's bodies flying on the ground, and then people get up, and it looks like they've got things calmed down. Then the fight breaks out again. I mean, this is it's just a major, major brawl. And, of course, then you've got the other people that are taking the cell phone videos of this. By the time the police are called and finally get there, apparently that the fight was was over. Um, it's unclear what, if anything, they're going to be able to do. I'm, I'm not sure that there's any arrests that have been made at this point in time. But but here's the dazzling detail of this. If you look at this video, you might say, okay, what what was it that started this? I mean, what exactly would have happened that would set something like this in motion. I mean, taking folding chairs and smacking them over each other's head and punching people in the face and trying to strangle other people. What was it? What could have possibly happened here? I mean, was this the Hatfields and McCoys? Were we settling some old grudge that went back, you know, a 100 years? What had happened? Well, apparently this started because one group of people without appropriate permission, took a chair from the table of another group of people. You know, you're kind of sitting around and you're in the bar or whatever, and you say, hey, are you using that chair? And the person says, no, I'm not. Go ahead, take it. Well, in this case, apparently somebody took a chair from one table, and the people who were going to be using the chair, they didn't like it, and one thing led to another, and then you've got this pure six brawl about the entire situation um nobody apparently seriously injured but this video has gone viral and and like i say i I was reading a newspaper in great britain today uh from great britain today they they're making fun of us in wisconsin these are the people that you know where, where soccer hooliganism started they're making fun of the brawl at the water park all right, I want to open up the phone lines, and I want to have sort of an, an open-ended conversation about this. A lot of times I'll try to present things in a sort of yes or no fashion. I'll give you my take. But th- this is a broader one because I think it is reflective of the broader things that go on in society. A water park in the Wisconsin Dells on Mother's Day ends up getting international attention for a brawl over the fact that one person – took a chair from somebody else without appropriate permission. What is going on? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. See, and I don't believe this is necessarily an isolated situation. I think this is, see, I think this stuff happens in big levels and in small levels on a daily sort of basis. I think more and more, People have what I describe, and when I sent this out on a tweet, I mean, I describe the impulse as being the impulse control of fruit flies. You took the chair. So instead of, I don't know, saying something or getting another chair, the reaction is, here, I'm going to grab a trash can and start to smack it over your head. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage talk and text line. You cannot go anywhere nowadays without the potential of just stupid violence breaking out. What is going on with people?
414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What is your theory? I have mine. We'll discuss in just a moment. 1242, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1245, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. A couple of people are trying to get the video, and there's the way it works on the text line is you have to text the word exactly, and, and the word is Dell's plural, D-E-L-L-S, not D-E-L-L apostrophe S, or not Dell, D-E-L-L-S. We'll, we'll get you the, the link to the video that we're talking about. But it, this is Mother's Day, 415 Mother's Day Sunday, and a brawl that breaks out over one but, one group of people, somebody taking a chair from a table from another person, and, and the way it's resolved is, here, we're, we're going to come to blows. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Russ in Lake Geneva. Russ on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. What do you think? I, it's unbelievable. You know, I can imagine just being with a family on Mother's Day, the table next to these people, and they're punching each other and... Uh, Right and chair, right, chair, right, garbage and chairs, and there. I mean, it, it really it looked like you know those old wrestling matches used to look like they're hitting each other over the head with folding chairs. For God's sake, Jeff, I stopped going to the Dells, and believe, trust me, I've had kids, and I've probably been to the Dells twenty times, or maybe more. I stopped going a couple years ago. You know, all the people that are over and bibbing. You know, I don't know if they think, hey, I'm paying three hundred dollars a night for this place. I'm going to do whatever I want to do, but you know, just just. Some people handle alcohol a lot better than others. And mm-hmm. I was telling you, screen, it's kind of like Walmart opened up a, a water park in the <laughs> Dells. You know, I, I think that this whole episode, the Dells, you, you, you ain't going to be able to find a place to rent on a weekend. I don't think they could get any bad advertising. I mean, a place is always jam-packed. I, you know, now, this is past weekend, we went to a resort in Lake Geneva. Very relaxed, a lot more classy. I'm just, I'm like, mm-hmm. well, the youngest is 14. I'm done. I'm really done with the Dells. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a bed bug issues that they've had in the past. and so, well, uh, but, I, but, I t- but you know, the thing is, Russ, it, it, this is more than just the, the Dells. I mean, we're going to talk a little bit later about what happened on Friday at Mayfair. You've got you know, you got the kids that are creating disturbances, and then they try to run from the police, and now an officer's in trouble for punching one of the kids. I mean, it's just this, it's, it, this happened at the Dells on Mother's Day, which makes it newsworthy. But th- this is the type of stuff that's going on at Mayfair or all, or all these other shopping centers. It's going on all over the area. I, and I, I don't understand it. You know, I, I, I raise my kids to stay away from these kind of things. And, I mean, you try to talk things out and just don't put yourself in that kind of situation. But the, when you think about that, argue about a chair – I'm sure everybody went to jail. I'm assuming. Well, no, I don't think they. Thanks to no, I don't think they've made any arrests because the thing had kind of died down by the time that the police finally ended up getting there. I mean, I, and that's now, now. Maybe you want to write this off, and maybe you want to say, okay, this, this is just this aberration, and because it's it got captured on cell phone video, and then, like I say, it goes viral. But I mean, this. Trust me, this is an international story, and people are saying this is this is what happens at a, at a Wisconsin water park. For goodness sakes. Alicia in Milwaukee. Alicia, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Good afternoon. Um, I would just like to state that a lot of this is when we were growing up, um, there was something called public shaming. Yeah. (laughs) And um, when you're in a public space, you're taught to act a certain way. And when you are not acting and conforming to the norms of society, you're shamed. And it's pissed pit. Yeah. And now some people say, you know, that's politically incorrect, but uh, the reality is this is how you not come to blows. It's that uh, emotional shame that you feel that, oh, I don't want to act this way in front of my mom. 
I don't want to act this way in front of others because this is a poor reflection of my family. And so I I think there's something to be said for how we act in public spaces. And within that, our dear president and the manner in which he's acting does not reflect the way we were all taught that you don't say certain things, you don't do certain things because... Look, I got to stop you there, Alicia. You're you're not going to blame Trump for you're not going to blame Trump for the brawl in Wisconsin Dells, are you really? No. Okay. What I'm saying is the tone that's being set across our country and how you represent our country and how you represent yourself in public spaces count. Well, you know what struck me about this this thing, Alicia, too, is it's not. I, I mean, I can't exactly tell the ages of the people involved, but it doesn't strike me that this is like teenagers necessarily. There might no, be some teenagers involved, but it, it's like it, it's like multi-generations. It's, hey, hon, let's go to the water park with the kids and let's get in a brawl. It looks like it's multi-generations that are involved in a fight. And that's sad that, you oh. know, adults are saying that this is the way we should handle this as opposed to, oh, well, let's stand back with the idiots that want to fight right. stand by themselves, but... No, to just join into that is just sad that, you know, it's a sad commentary on our society. No, no, thanks. And, and it does go to the, to your point. I mean, I, I, I always try to, I, I don't know about you, but I always try to personalize things. And I'm sitting there thinking, okay, if I was at this place with my parents, okay, let's say I'm a teenager, I, I'm there, my brother Scott and I are there. And, and this, this thing, this thing breaks out. I, I don't exactly see my mother and father grabbing tables and starting to bang them over other people's heads. It's just, it, it, there, there is, I, I, there is a, a, a coarsening, I'm going to use that, a coarsening of the culture. And this has been going on for a while. And, and I don't know if it's part of the, here, we're going to live in the moment. I don't know if it's part of the, here, you know, we see these things on TV. I don't know if it's part of the, we just have absolutely no impulse control, and we get mad. You took my chair. So my response is going to be, I'm going to grab a garbage can and bang it over your head. That's that's kind of the environment you, you live in, and you wonder, where is this going to be 5, 10, 15 years from now? That's one of, I think, the, just the incredibly frustrating you know, things that ends up going on. Let's talk to Tom in Greenfield. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah, uh, Jeff, uh, the morals, the manners, the values, and everything else have gone out the door. Uh, and you could see the different, you know, from the different class of people and the different values of different people in that. And uh, it's sad. I mean, uh, you got to say please, or you got to say the wrong word, uh, and you're going to get smashed in the face or something like that, or you sneeze and somebody's yeah. going to, because the it offends them or something like right. that. I mean, uh, you could see, just like you said, with the chair, I mean, come on. Uh, this is supposed to be Mother's Day. You're supposed to be, be thankful to have your mother and uh, well, your relatives and everybody around you, not not supposed to be a bash. Uh, right, we're going to the world. Well, but you got to, thanks for the call time. You got to understand, though, they, they, they took somebody's chair. All right, here's a note. Jeff, people are just idiots, plain and simple. Yesterday, I took my four-year-old twins to a brand-new playground, and I was so saddened to observe swearing, rudeness, and destructive behavior like rock-throwing, overturning picnic tables, etc., among the other kids. And they were there from a nearby school, which is only up to age 12, exclamation point. I went away very discouraged about our future. I mean, that's... It is this, you know, sort of thing that's there. And 
I, I mean, I, I try not to draw these larger conclusions, and I know our caller Alicia was saying, well, look, look at what's going on with the president. I, and I don't think you can blame this on, on Trump. And got a note here saying, look how the teachers union uh, protesters acted last weekend, you know, and they're teaching our kids. They're talking about, you know, showing up outside this event at the Milwaukee Public Museum hosted by Governor Walker and people screaming and confronting and blocking the sidewalks and shouting all sorts of things, you know, at folks who are just like going in there. I mean, I, I do get this kind of sense that what you see is, is this attitude of kind of anything goes and, and these restraints don't apply to me. And I, I guess I, I do think, I hope, for example, there's these videotapes. It shouldn't be too hard to figure out who these people were. I mean, I assume that they're guests of the resort. I assume the resort knows who did this. You've got the videotapes. And at the very least, you would hope that there would be charges against some of the more flagrant type of behavior, because I'm sure you can identify this, if nothing else, just to just to say that we're not going to tolerate this sort of thing. And look, and I understand this might be an aberration. I, I get it. I know some people are suggesting, oh, this is just actually bad publicity for the Dells, and it is bad publicity for the Dells. Okay, I understand all that, um, and, and maybe it's just a small number of people and maybe this is sort of an out of character thing one of our callers earlier suggested not necessarily but but it doesn't make any difference this type of stuff happens and it's happening all over happened at mayfair mall to an extent on friday happens at area shopping centers it happens where people gather and i guess i don't mean to be this kumbaya kind of guy but can't we really all get along and i guess the answer is no which means that's why law enforcement needs to be able to step in. It's 12.55. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right. Governor Walker antagonizing some in the educational establishment by suggesting maybe it's time to do something different with the Milwaukee public school system. Given that insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and being surprised that the results aren't different, I think the governor's on to something. In just a couple minutes, I'm going to suggest to you what I think he should do. Plus, during the break, I want you to imagine a stack of $100 bills. All right? Imagine hundreds of thousands of dollars in that stack. Just visualize it all sitting in front of you. Imagine what you could do with that money. Imagine the things that you could do to make your life better. Imagine the things that you could do with that money to make the life of the community better. And then imagine taking a match and lighting that pile of money on fire. That is precisely what we are doing in Wisconsin today. I'll tell you about it. Stick around. It's 1259. This is Jeff Wagner. One oh nine, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So, I, I use this this sort of mind example before for the break. Uh, imagine a stack of hundred dollar bills, and so you know ten of those bills would be a thousand dollars. So you know, imagine a hundred of those hundred dollar bills stacked up, two hundred, three hundred of bills just stacked up. Uh, imagine a stack. It would be, I don't know, $100,000 worth of, of $100 bills. 
maybe $200,000 worth of bill, $100 bills. You're just sitting there, and there's this huge pile in front of you. And think what you could do with that money. Just just think of you could, I could, I could, you could pay off your car. You could maybe pay off your house. Grew, maybe you could go out and buy a house if you wanted to do that. If if you didn't need the money yourself, think of what you could do with that stack of money. You could, you could, you could take it. You could help. Well, you could go down to the airport and you could stick it all in those donation changes, change jars to help, you know, help the homeless. You could do whatever you wanted. You could think of all the good stuff that you could do with it. So imagine you're sitting at this little table and you've got the money all piled up in front of you. And then somebody walks past with a can of gasoline, pours some gasoline on that stack of crisp hundred dollar bills and lights it on fire. Imagine your reaction. You just lit all this money on fire. Why in God's green earth would you do that? Well, that is precisely what is going on in Wisconsin today. And the guy with the can of gasoline, the worst, in my opinion, unindicted attorney general in the history of the state of Wisconsin, Eric Holder. Yes, that Eric Holder. Thanks to a lawsuit that he filed several months ago. Thanks to a lawsuit, we are now burning an enormous amount of money. Today, in two districts, a state Senate district up in Green Bay and a state assembly district in in central Wisconsin, like part of Dodge County and part of Columbia County, we are having primary elections. Now, you might say, wait, Jeff, I I don't get it. I mean, the elections are November, and and the primary is, is August, right? Well, yes, yes. The election is in the primary elections is in are in August and the general election is November. So why are we having a primary election today? Well, what happened is a few months ago you had two elected legislators. Um, one was the the state senator who represented the kind of the Green Bay area. He resigned to that was be Frank Lassay to take a job in the Walker administration meaning that his seat was vacant, and it's coming up for election. The person that's going to be permanently holding that will be decided in the November elections. There will be a primary in August. It is now May. So Frank Lassay steps down. Keith Ripp, who is a Republican state representative um, from, again, the Columbia-Dodge County area, he resigned to take a job with the Walker administration, and, and his seat is up. There are people who in the next couple weeks, no, I think they're out there circulating petitions now. They are already circulating nominating positions to get them on the ballot for the primary election. Well, because of a lawsuit that was filed by Eric Holder and a group of liberal activists that has nothing to do with the representation of people in Wisconsin, What's going on here is because Democrats have had a degree of success in certain midterm elections across the country and the state Senate, the 10th district, the Northwest Wisconsin a few months ago, what they want to do is they want to try to, I don't know, make a political point. So they filed a lawsuit saying we have to have an election to fill the seat, to fill the seat before the regular election in November. So as a result, today, you have a primary election. 
There's two Republicans running for the state Senate seat in Green Bay, and I think there's three or four Republicans running in a primary for this um, assembly seat. There's only one Democrat running in the respective things. So there will be a pri- there is a primary election being held May 15th, that's today, in Green Bay, the Green Bay Senate District, and in this particular um, assembly district. Somebody will win today, and they will then go on to a general election, which will be held next month in June. And that person will then hold the seat until, well, for the balance of the year, but they're going to have to run again in August and then run again in November. Now, the legislature isn't even in session during this time. So whoever wins, well, they're, they're not going to have much, if anything, to do because the legislature is not going to be meeting. You're not going to be voting on laws. There might be a little bit of committee work and things like that. But effectively, there's going to be nothing going on. Like I said earlier, this is all about politics. It's all about, gee, if we can snare, if the Democrats thinking, if we can snare another seat, maybe that'll give us some momentum as we move to November. That That's all that's going on here. And that would be fine. I understand that politics is great. But do you understand the cost of this? They estimate that when they had special elections for these seats two years ago, the cost was over $300,000. And that would be for the primary and for the general election, over three hundred grand. I don't know if this one's going to come in as high. I, I, I like to think it won't. But but let's say it's not three hundred thousand. Let's say let's even say it's not two hundred thousand. Let's say the cost of putting on this dog and pony show in Green Bay and Central Wisconsin, the cost to taxpayers for both of them combined is a hundred thousand. I think that's going to be low. But let's just take a hundred thousand dollars. Hundred thousand dollars being spent uh, essentially to elect somebody to a position that they are going to have to run for well they're they're going to have to they're going to be running for it now because they've got to be circulating nominating petitions to get on the ballot in August but they're going to hold the seat June to July July to August August September September to October October to early part of November maybe four and a half months maybe while the legislature is not in session before they then have to you know run uh, again now governor walker matter of fact we we were talking about this at insight a couple weeks ago and there there was the court case by eric holder and you know the there was talk about changing the law and they went through the courts and and ultimately you know governor walker i remember he said to me he said this this isn't a I still think that they're wrong on the law, but it's not worth going to the state Supreme Court for. If, if this is the way the Democrats want to play this, okay, fine. We'll spend the money. My guess is Republicans are going to hold both of these seats. That is my guess. Maybe I'll be proven wrong next month, but I don't think so. We will have literally taken, I think, probably $100,000, imagine $100 bills, lit it on fire, Go home tonight if you've got a Weber grill, not the gas grill. Just you know, put in that charcoal, get it going really well, and before you put the steaks on, just imagine taking that stack of hundred dollar bills and dropping it onto the charcoal and watching it go into fl- up in flames. That is essentially what we have done. Not not because we have real concerns about the representation of people in these areas, but rather because we're trying to score political points. Fine. 
score the political points, but understand it comes at a cost. And think of all that we could have done with that money. People were asking me if I was going to make a prediction in the Senate race and the Assembly race. I, I haven't been following it that closely. Up in the Green Bay area, um, for the Senate seat, there's a uh, State Representative Andre Jock of De Pere. He's running against the Green Bay businessman, Alex Renard. I'm, I'm not sure. Again, it's who knows who's going to turn out. My guess is if you talk about low turnout races, Okay, and we think that the um, nonpartisan elections in April is a low turnout race. Um, turning out for a state Senate primary in Green Bay on May 15th, that's the ultimate in low turnout stuff. I, I have no idea who's going to ultimately win it. I do think whoever comes out of that is probably going to be elected. That's a, I think it's a safe Republican sort of seat that's out there. But, you know, we're going to spend probably six figures of taxpayer dollars to figure it out. Wonderful. It's 118. When we come back, I have an idea as to what I think Governor Walker should do with MPS. I want to get your ideas on it. Stick around. It's 118. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 121, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. A lot of talk about the Milwaukee public school system now. MPS, well, if it's not a train wreck It'll do till the real train wreck comes. I guess that's the best way to look. I mean, you want to talk about just a stone-cold mess. You've got the, the current superintendent who wants out and is trying to negotiate her, her way to get out. You have the board that's apparently hired a new interim superintendent. By the way, state law says you can only have one superintendent at a time. That, it's, that's, but nobody on the board apparently knew that. So you've got th- this whole mess. As far as leadership, it's always been a revolving door, and and that doesn't necessarily make it better or worse than other urban school districts, but nobody sticks around very long. You have an entrenched teachers' union who fights fights any sort of meaningful change because they're afraid that it's going to I mean, take away some of their jobs. You've got you know school board members who are constantly at each other's throat, You've got financial challenges that um, are are candidly daunting. Um, you've got a, what I think the budget's like one point two billion dollars. I mean, it's it's an enormous undertaking. And let us be fair: you have at MPS a lot of the challenges that you have in other urban school districts that make it well difficult simply to educate. What am I talking about? Well, let's just be honest here. I mean, you have you know you have a, a student population. Where for some, and I, I again, you, it's tough to generalize, but you know you have some of the kids that are coming from broken homes, where there there's not necessarily the, the two parent families. You got some people, kids that are coming from homes where it's babies having babies, and there's not the commitment necessarily to education. Maybe mom and or dad isn't as plugged in as. Um, the traditional nuclear families might have been. That, that's just that's just the reality. You've got you know the whole issues of crime and poverty and all those different things operating, which makes it it tougher. It makes it a lot tougher. And these are the challenges that are are there. So you you've got in many respects a daunting sort of thing that is beyond. You can't blame the teachers. I, I know sometimes the teachers want to say there's not enough money. They've been throwing money at MPS for decades. And throwing money, and that that doesn't work either. I mean, just throwing money at it doesn't work. You've got some MPS schools which are successful, but 
as a general rule across the district, I, I think you could say train wreck. And to try to get any sort of meaningful change is has been difficult, if not impossible. If you try to say, okay, let's let some of the kids go to the parochial schools or the private schools, well, then you've got the people saying you're just trying to, you know, destroy the, the public school system. And, and at the end of the day, it should be, at least it seems to me, all about figuring out how the best way you can educate the kids, given all these different problems that are there. And while I don't claim to be an expert in the education system, I do know that what we are doing now doesn't work. So what are some of the different options? And one of the things that Governor Walker is talking about now is splitting up MPS. Right now, let me pull up the, uh, let me see, let me pull up the numbers here. Right now at MPS, there are, I believe, 154 different, different schools. 154 schools in the system. Um, about 75,000 students. Um, 9,600 staff positions, 154 schools, 75,000 plus students, 9,600 plus um, full-time staff positions. It is an enormous, enormous undertaking. In a lot of, in a lot of parts of society, a lot of businesses, there will be occasions where the businesses get too big to be uh, effective. I don't know if you if, if maybe you invest in mutual funds, for example. You know, one of the things that, that happens sometimes to mutual fund companies is they become too successful. They become so big. They have so much money that's coming in. They're so big that they, they can't operate. They can't get the returns that they used to get because they, 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 they can't take just like little, they can't find some little small stock and take a position in it because they've got all this money. They're too big. So what they end up doing is they end up closing themselves off to new investors or in some cases like splitting, you know, into different funds. One of the things I think that people are looking at is, is MPS too big? And would we be in a position, would we be better if instead of having this one giant monolith, this enormous MPS, wouldn't we be better off splitting it? maybe having three or four different school districts from the old MPS, smaller, able to focus more on perhaps individual problems in individual areas, able to hold um, people accountable. I mean, let, let's face it, it, you know, if you've got, you know, if, if you've got nine stores, it's easier to be on top of those nine stores than it is if you've got 36 stores. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. That's one of the things that Governor Walker is is at least throwing out on the table. Would we be better off if we broke up MPS into three districts, four districts, smaller districts? Now, I understand it would create a couple issues because now you've got some kids that maybe they um, go to school on the northwest side and they and they live you know on the far south side and they get bussed all over the city. But would we be better off splitting MPS into smaller districts in order to encourage accountability? 414-799-1620. We discuss next. And by the way, my answer is yes. 
because what we're doing now doesn't work. I think splitting it would make districts more competitive. It would provide more accountability, and I think it would allow the programs to be better tailored to the needs of those different areas. But that's just me. We discuss next. It's 128 Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 136 Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Uh, the doors are finally open at IKEA. Jane Matinair tells you about some detours in the area and checks in live with folks waiting in line. That's at 7.51 tomorrow on Wisconsin's Morning News. Maybe we'll talk about the IKEA phenomenon either today or tomorrow. Gru, who's producing the show today and always, are you an IKEA guy? You're going to be there eventually. Well, so you're going to wait a month. Okay, you're that kind of guy. The new Avengers movie comes out. You don't have to see it the first night. You're going to wait wait for that. I um, I don't know. I, I just, I'm not in the mood. For, I, I'm not. The house is now furnished. We've got a rule with well, one or two exceptions. There's one or two things that we still need. But otherwise, no furniture shopping and stuff like that. So I... I, I've never been to an IKEA. I'm the one person on the planet who's never been to an IKEA. Hasn't so, and I, I don't necessarily feel this overwhelming desire to run down there. But I hope it is a huge success. I, I do. And uh, tomorrow, tomorrow, okay. The the parking lots open at five a.m. and I think the store opens at eight. And they're just figuring out. They're they're planning that there's just going to be sort of like opening day at Miller Park. You know where people line up to to get in to shop at the store. And again, I I don't get it. But I hope that it is a huge, huge success because it's good for the entire area. I think this is the 48th IKEA store. I think that's what I ended up seeing. Hey, talking about MPS, have an interesting text here from Dana. I have thought for years that the specialty schools should have their own district, in particular the language schools. They have much different needs as far as staffing, physical resources like books and materials, and they handle standardized testing differently than traditional schools, just to name a few. Yeah, I think that, that I think is a classic of example of of how maybe it could be more efficient. The the specialty schools are are a different breed of cat than some of the than the regular schools, and that to me would make much more sense. I just think that's an example of something that people have to look at. That is, is smaller better? And the answer is, in some cases, yes especially if it is just so unwieldy that you've got 9,000-plus employees, you've got 154 different schools with different needs serving different parts of the community, maybe by creating multiple school districts, again, acknowledging that that could cause a certain issue because you've got kids that, again, right now, maybe start in one part of the city and travel to the other part. But big picture, maybe maybe multiple districts would be the way to go because this is the one thing I know. First of all, there's not more money to throw at the problem, but we have seen over the last two decades throwing money at the situation at MPS, throwing money at that problem just, just isn't solving things. It's just flat out not. So if you want to care about a quality public education, maybe maybe you have to start looking at some radical changes and that may very be well be one of them. All right, I want to completely switch gears. This is uh, May 15th. The number of college kids are, are already back. My niece, who is, just finished her freshman year at San Diego State, is back in town, just got back, I think, last – I haven't even seen her yet. I think she got back last Thursday, Wednesday, last Wednesday or, or Thursday. Um, a lot of college kids are coming back. 
for high school kids. Um, you've got another couple weeks of school. But, you know, we're winding down. What is it, three weeks, maybe four weeks? The end is sort of in sight. And that brings the summer. And the question always becomes, particularly for the high school kids, how is it that you spend your summer? There was a time where if you were able to go out in high school and find a job, you, you it was just that you were like you were the king or queen because, you know, you you were able to, you know, work and you'd be able to have a little bit of extra spending money. And, you know, you could go do some of the things that the kids who just kind of depended on getting the allowances from mom and dad weren't necessarily able to do. Plus, you know, you, you had that whole other universe. You got to say, I, I get to go to I got to go to I'm sorry, I can't do that tonight. I got to go to work or whatever. There, there was this value in the summer jobs. Now, the summer jobs that people used to have are, are getting harder to find in some respects. You've got, um, you know, what's a big area that kids used to work in? And that would be retail. Well, you know, we all know what's happening to retail because of changing consumer tastes and because of the Internet. You know, there's fewer stores that are out there. Um, also, you know, working in fast food places used to be, you know, one of the typical startup jobs. You know, kids in high school or college kids coming back, you, you'd work at the Burger Doodles or whatever. Well, okay, now there, there's more challenge for those type of, of jobs. First of all, in some respects, there's fewer of those jobs around. Then you've got more people that are working. I, I had this conversation two nights ago with somebody, and we were talking about summer jobs and kids working at, at the jobs and how, from an employer perspective, how tough it is to get that sort of seasonal help because the person I was talking to was saying, you know, a, a lot of the parents aren't pushing their kids to work. It used to be back in the day that, you know, there was, you know, the parents, you know, if you wanted spending money or whatever, you were expected, go, go, go get the job. You know, you, you gotta, you gotta work for it. That I think in many respects, now it's kind of like, well, they spend so much time in school and, and you're trying to get into college and that means you need to burnish your resume. And so that means here, you know, go off to, you know, cheerleader camp and go off to debate camp and go off and do this and go off and do that. And of course, if you're going to play sports, that means you have to do that. So there's not the pressure to, to work. I still remember my first, you know, real, real job. I, I worked at, uh, I've told this story before. I, I worked there, uh, at the old Treasure Island store, which was on Brown Deer Road and Highway 57. It was sort of a, it was a, like a J.C. Penney's discount store is kind of what what that was, but I mean, I I remember how cool it was, you know, to have that job and be able to go in and you get that paycheck every two weeks, and it really I think kind of helped me number one learn the value of money because you could sit there and say, okay, this isn't just that dough that your father's giving you. You have to you look at that paycheck and you say, gosh, I I know how much time I had to put in to to get this, and there was the cool feeling uh, of again knowing that you had to. You had to be responsible. You had to be somewhere at a given time. Nice summer day. Maybe you're inclined to, I don't know, want to sleep until noon. Well, you can't do that because you got to be at work at noon. All right, I want to open up the phone lines. Our numbers are 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think there is an inherent value to working. And I think the parents who give their kids the alternative, who don't push their kids to go out and and get a job. And I don't even care if they need the money or not. See, sometimes I think the value of this 
goes beyond just what that paycheck's going to be. Now, the, the money is great in general, but I don't care. I don't care if you're loaded. I think the idea of 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 working, bussing tables, or working as a hostess, or you know, flipping burgers, or whatever. I think there is an inherent value in that. And I think parents miss the boat by not pushing their kids to do that. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should we be, and the reason it got me started on this is not just this conversation, but there's a story um, in the Wall Street Journal the other day, many teenagers not even looking for a summer job, not even looking for a summer job. I think, big picture, they're missing out on something. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 144. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 148, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Let's start with Mary in Madison. Mary, good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. I love your show. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for calling. I appreciate it. Sure. Um, Both of my kids, my son and daughter, started working. um, Actually, they worked at the same place beginning when they were 15 years old and could get a work permit. Mm -hmm. Um, And the most valuable thing they told me later that they took away from that was you know, not only time management and earning the money, but they were face-to-face with the customer. And mm-hmm. at 15 years old, they had to figure out how to talk to adults, how right. to be professional. And they both later on said that was so important as they went on to college and, you know, were comfortable then um, mm-hmm. with their professors and even interviews later. Yeah, I, I just think on, on all sorts of levels, it, it teaches you a degree of responsibility and you, you have to be there on a certain point in time and you have to interact in a certain way that's different than you interact with mom and dad and your aunts and uncles and stuff. It's it's just, you know, and the money is always nice, but there's a value beyond just the money that you get. Absolutely, right. And, yeah, they had to become that different person um, that that we all become when we go to work, and they're not just hanging out with their friends and you know speaking the teenage lingo, and, <laughs> right. and they really appreciated it. So did they I like also, it? Did I'm they sorry, like? Did, did they like their jobs? Yeah, actually, yep. And they were they were able to go back um, summers mm-hmm. for college. The um, employer really liked both of them, and they were able to go back and um, yeah. and um, yeah, it was a really good experience. I also see. Many of my friends and even like my nieces and nephews at the same age, not going, um, not getting the after school jobs. Like you said, they're busy doing the other things, um, supposedly that are important, um, you know, as far as as college and sports. And I don't know. I I think that everybody is missing something. I think it's it's a critical piece. Yeah, I I do too. Now, thanks for calling, Mary. Now, now I, I think actually a good employer should especially you know a good employer should appreciate that and and maybe be able to you know accommodate that i mean i think there has to be a little bit of give and take you know let's say you work you you run a you run a restaurant and summer is one of your big times okay um so maybe you you know you you need you need the kids to come in and, and be the bus boys or, or whatever or, or to do the waitress stuff, but recognizing that they're also going to have some of their activities as well. I, I think it's an enlightened employer that is a little bit flexible to be able to accommodate. Now, that means the employers have to pay a little bit more attention and, and recognize that if you're dealing with a 16-year-old, it, it's different than if you're dealing with a 36-year-old full-time employee. So I'd encourage the employers to be flexible as well. Pam in Sussex. Pam, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Hi, Pam. Um, one of the things that I think is so important is for these kids to, to work as, you know, high schoolers, 
Um, my sisters and I actually worked for a family business. We started when we were 10 years old. Um, before we could even count change out properly to people, <laughs> we um, were actually working, and we're talking 12, 14-hour days. And up until I think about 12, we started hiring some of our friends. And right. a bunch of all through these years, my parents have hired teenagers. And the one thing that I can say consistently for all these kids is that they are some of the hardest workers right. I've ever met in my life. <laughs> and it has created such a, a foundation for that work ethic mm-hmm. that they have for the rest of their life, really. Right, and, and they, they understand you know, what that dynamic is, it, it's different than going to classes or it's different than hanging out. It's just that you got to be at certain places. There's certain expectations that you have. Like I say, for me, it helped teach me the value of money. When you sit there and you, you get that first check and you kind of look at it and you say, oh, this is, you know, I know how many hours I had to put in to get this particular check. It, oh, it makes you appreciate the value of work. Oh, absolutely. If my daughter is looking to buy something, she's been working for a couple years now. If it's mom and dad's money, she doesn't really, you know, <laughs> right. think about it quite as much. Right. But if it's her own money that she has earned, Boy, a lot more. Um, I don't know. Uh, oh no, no, right? Okay, sweetheart, you like that? You like that two hundred and fifty dollar purse? Purse? Okay, well, I think it's great too. But all right, <laughs> if you want a two hundred and fifty dollar purse, all right, you know, you know, figure out how much, figure out how long you're going to have to do whatever it is that you're doing, and then go with God. Go buy that purse. They must think it. Pretty frugal when it's their own money. Right. So <laughs> right. Well, right. No. Thank. Well. Ex- well. Exactly. But again, it, it helps teach the value of of money and that work ethic. Deb in Wauwatosa. Hi, Deb. You're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. I totally agree with the other two people who called in and with you. Um, our three kids all held jobs uh, in high school, junior, seniors. They were all on the honor society roll. They mm-hmm. top of their classes, honor classes. They got into Big Ten schools. And let me ask you this, but I'll let you make your point. Did, did, did your kid? Would, would your kids have? Did your kids have to work, or did they work because they wanted to, or you wanted them to? Um, we wanted them to. Mm-hmm. Um, it would have been less tight, right, with them working. But um, you know, like they they put money towards the car, and then mm-hmm. we helped pay for the rest sure. of it. But three of them shared a car, and. Um, same thing with the other things. You know, they had to always put money towards whatever sure. they wanted. And but through college and through, you know, they they all held jobs all the way through college. They came home, and then they worked. My two kids worked the jobs that they had here, and then right. our oldest son actually stayed at college and worked with his job during the summer months because they really liked them. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, so they always held jobs, and now they have wonderful careers probably make more than we do <laughs> and but still the other point i have is yes it does create the time management mm-hmm. um the responsibilities and just the feeling they had you could see their personality um as far as being proud of themselves right and and, and, it, and it, in some respects it forces them to i'm going to say grow up that's that might be an overstatement right. but but it forces them to mature because now now they're in a they're in a different well, sort of level you know they, they've got responsibilities I also, I also wanted to make a point i was a nanny for a family extremely extremely wealthy family in uh illinois for quite a few years and when i left their kids were just starting into high school i met them when they were little very toddlers and they also um, could have been handed 
anything they wanted. But they had, the parents came to me every Saturday and said, so did they do all their chores Mm -hmm. so they can get their 50 cents a week allowance? Now, I never said no. Right. But, um, you know, it was 50 cents a week for these kids who could get anything they wanted. And then when they wanted that, you know, Mm-hmm. Not a two hundred and fifty dollar purse. There's right. no way they were, you know. <laughs> right. But even a twenty dollar purse back then, um, they had to earn the money. And then when they got older and in high school, we're still very dear friends to this day. But when they wanted a car, they had to get a job, and they got jobs to earn the money for that car. Yeah. And, I, I, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting you say that, Deb, because I have um, several acquaintances who are extreme i'll use the phrase very well off and in in all those cases their their children and some of whom are grown up now but their kids worked you know and they worked starting in high school and that was that was an expectation that you know you're you're going to go off and you know you're going to you're going to find yourself a job and you're going to you know you're going to be a busboy you're going to be a hostess you're going to be a waitress you're going to do those type of things or you know or whatever or you're going to work retail it was just one of those expectations and these weren't kids that had to do it it was because they needed the money. It was kids that had to do it because mom and dad said they had to do it. Well, yeah, and, and even even the if I said the name, you would actually know who they were. And But anyhow, he started out up in the Milwaukee area, and he and his father built this business from, the, from scratch. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the dad had to work, the mom had to work to get to where they were, you know, when they had kids and they could afford a nanny and everything sure. else. And, and they want to do that. No, hey, thanks for call. I'm sorry, I'm kind of up against the clock, but fascinating story. I, I guess, you know, bottom line, I, I've, I've always been very proud of my, for a variety of reasons, proud of, of my niece, who's one of the lights of my life. But um, she did really, really well in school and was involved in all sorts of activities and got into a great college. But she worked all the time. And, you know, she, she that was where her spending money came from. And she's back here for the summer and she's, you know, working at a job. I mean, it's just it was always expected. I'm very, very proud of her. And I don't know if she would have had to or not, but she always did. And I think it's made her a much more well-rounded person, just like I think, you know, maybe it helped me be a little bit more well-rounded. And, boy, I did some awful jobs, which also convinced me that I wanted to stay in school and, you know, get that college degree and get the law degree and, you know, do whatever. It's uh, 157. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 209. This is Jeff Wagner. So glad to have you with us. At the start of the show yesterday, we talked about this incident that occurred last Friday afternoon at Mayfair Mall. And that is another, again, a snippet of a cell phone video had gone viral, uh, to use the cliche. And you had all sorts of people that were up in arms. It showed a a white, and we're going to get to this because this is being racialized, it showed a white Wauwatosa police officer kind of like throwing a forearm at a African-American, he turns out to be 17 years old, and there's a security guard that's kind of wrestling with him, and then the three go down, and it was a brief, it was only like 13 seconds, and based on this film clip, you had members of, what did they call themselves? I want to make sure I get the title exactly correct. The, the original Black Panthers of Milwaukee, which is a very small group. That's what they call, as opposed to the Black Panthers. They call themselves the original Black Panthers. And they were, you know, staging a protest at Mayfair Mall, all these sorts of things, you know, demanding, again, no justice, no peace, you know, that kind of stuff. All right, so that was all based on this brief 
13-second clip that somebody showed on cell phone. Well, yesterday afternoon, I think after the show, the Wauwatosa police released a, a second video. This video is a surveillance video that was taken in the um, in the mall parking lot. If you want to see the video, and it, it's only about a minute and a half, but it gives a sort of different perspective on this. Um, if you text the word Mayfair, M-A-Y-F-A-I-R, Mayfair, to 414-799-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, we'll, we'll send you a link to, to the video. But this is a, it is a supplement to this, this brief cell phone video that's there. And again, the word, if you need, is Mayfair, as in the shopping center. We'll, we'll send you the link. The video that the police released that they obtained from the, the mall surveillance kind of gives you more perspective on, on what happened. Friday afternoon, uh, mall security had called the police because they had five, six, seven kids. And I say kids, these are teenagers, 17 years old or whatever, who were creating a disturbance in the mall and refused to leave. That caused mall security to call the police. All right. Um, what you see happen in the, fo- the video is it's, it's of the parking lot. And you see like five of these, these teenagers who created the disturbance that caused security to have to call kind of running through the, the parking lot. The police cruiser pulls in. You can see this happen. And the police officer you know, gets out of the car. Now, these kids are, are running, and they're apparently running across, the, trying to get into a car. And, and the police officer, you know, goes up, and he's trying to get the, the group to stop. They, they they don't stop. And then he comes into contact with, you know, one one of them. And I think, you know, what the video then shows is that, you know, he's he's trying to, you know, get a hold of the kid that's running from him. And the kid... Starts, I say kid, he's 17. He, the teenager starts struggling with the police officer. And, you know, he ends up throwing the punch in the context of, of the two of them are struggling. And, and again, it's a, it's a longer thing. It, this isn't a close up, but you can kind of see the interaction. You can see that the teenager apparently refuses to stop when the police officer tells him to stop and then struggles with the police officer. Okay. Which may, Again, they're they're doing a use of force review on this, and and they'll they'll determine whether or not it's appropriate. I understand that there's some people who think that, well, you know, under no circumstances should a police officer throw a punch. And some people will say, well, the kid was 17. Under no circumstances should a police officer ever throw a punch at a 17 year old. Well, I guess my response to that would be, you the, the the police officer, all he knows is he's got somebody struggling with him not complying with his instructions, and you're, you're trying to take him under control. But now you have, with as a result of this, you have kind of a broader picture uh, of what's going on. Well, again, the head of the original Black Panthers of, of Milwaukee says, yeah, I, I know there's this new video out there, but it doesn't change my view. It shows how aggressive the police officer was before, during, and after the brutal assault the young man did not do anything that warranted him being brutally assaulted. The video shows it. Well, again, this is a situation where instead of just stopping and doing what the police officer tells him, the kid decided to struggle. But but bigger picture of this, again, you've got some of these activists, and I'll use that term loosely, who are, again, trying to racialize th- this whole thing. 
and we're trying to turn this into a oh see this is the way the white Wauwatosa police officers are mistreating these you know African American kids who are at, at Mayfair, as opposed to simply saying well maybe this is a situation where you have a bunch of kids white black brown green blue who were creating a disturbance in the shopping mall to the point that they had to this police had to be called by security when police came the kids instead of just stopping decided to try to run and then ended up resisting arrest okay 4147991620 that is the acunet mortgage talk and text line do we have to racialize everything i mean can't we look at a thing like this and again i i ultimately they'll determine whether or not the police officer you know should have thrown the forearm or, or not i mean that that will be you know and, and that'll all come out one way or the other but here you have a situation where i think by all accounts you know you have at least one of you have these these teenagers who have caused a disturbance they have refused to comply with the police they are fleeing the police and the one kid is clearly resisting when the police officer is trying to take him into custody. Does that have to be seen through a racial prism? Or could we maybe stipulate that the kids were in the wrong here, regardless of what you think about the cops? Maybe the cop was in the wrong, too. Maybe that'll be determined. But can't we at least stipulate that the kids were in the wrong here, necessitating and everything that happened, everything that you see on the video uh, occurred as a result of the behavior on the, or the misbehavior of the teenagers, white, black, brown, doesn't, I don't care. Do we have to racialize this, or can't we just also say, look, whatever the cop did, they'll decide whether it was excessive or not. These kids were wrong. The kids aren't victims. The kids could have complied. They could have not been disorderly, and none of this happens. Let's start with Mike on the northwest side. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, Mike. Uh, I agree 100% that it's on your producer. I, this is not a racial thing. Uh, the white kid or anybody else would have been disrespecting the cops and walking away while they're trying to stop them and talk to them. I think the same thing would have happened, uh, and I am coming into the defense of the Tulsa cops. Uh, this is nothing racial. It's something he had to do to subdue a uh, unruly well, well, yeah. I mean, okay, okay, Mike. I mean, just just imagine. Let Let's go back. Uh, you know, a few years when you know you're you're seventeen or eighteen years old. And let's say you and some of your friends are out there, and you're you know behaving badly at a local shopping mall or something. And the police pull up, and you decide to run with them. And one of them grabs you, and you decide that you're going to fight with him. Well, okay, you're you're a white guy. My guess is he's going to be using some force to take you under. You know, to, he's going to be using force to take you under control as well. Yeah, I would I would comply. I'd actually be scared deathless. Yeah, exactly. Now, thanks to call four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. And and like I say, there there will be a review to determine you know whether or not he he the police officer should have thrown the punch and should have thrown the forearm. And that's and and maybe they're going to determine that he shouldn't have done that. That that's that's all well and good. But it is, and then he deserves to be disciplined. Okay, I'm I'm not going to defend that. I'll wait till the result of the review. But I mean, I'm looking at this surveillance tape, and I see why all this happened. The kid, the kids were fleeing the police after doing Lord knows what they were doing in in Mayfair Shopping Center. Tough for me to see them as as victims. Um, and again, that's 
you know, if, if the officer is wrong, too, that, that's fine. But the kids were wrong. Chris on the east side. Chris, you're on WTMJ. Yes and no. Yeah, Hi, Chris. I, I, I agree that the um, kids or, or teenagers right. were wrong and should have complied. Uh, but the use of force is what's in question here. And the fact that uh, if they were a different race, if they were white, with that same amount of use of force would have been used. Right. And you, you, what do you think? Do you think, let, let's take the same situation, 17-year-old white kid running from the cops, refusing, and then struggling when they try to take him into control. You don't think the cop, you, do, you, do you think the cop would have done the same thing or no? No, absolutely okay. not. I mean, it, there's examples after examples of uh, African-Americans that, are treated differently than white offenders. I mean, just uh, one off the top of my head is with the Charleston uh, mm-hmm. um, city where they took him out to Burger King afterwards. Mm-hmm. Well, let me. Uh, what, I mean, what do you think? Let's let's say same exact same facts, but it's a white kid, not a black kid. Okay, exact same facts. What, what do you think the police officer does or would have done? When the kids started fighting him and resisting arrest, do you think he would have let him go? I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I am legitimately curious as to how you think this would have played out. Well, I, if you look at the video, and, and I did too, there were two officers trying to get this mm-hmm. uh, young man to comply. In the process, there he was. They took him down. My, I don't think that they would have. Somebody would have threw an elbow at a, mm-hmm. a white um, teenager. Because he was in the midst, even though he was resisting, or there was uh, right. some type of yeah, they were struggling. Yeah, forth. they were struggling, but I don't think they would have threw uh, a fist. They still would have gotten to comply, but without throwing a punch. Um, okay, well, th- I mean, I guess that's. Thanks, I mean, I said that's, you know, th- that's where the discussion is is going to be, and that, that's that's kind of it. I mean, it's. I don't know. It, it's it's not like the officer pulled out a taser. It's not like he he pulled out a baton. And and again, I I think that there, to me there are two issues. One is under the circumstances. And again, you you see this little thirteen second snippet of video, and it doesn't give you the the whole perspective of of what's going on there. And, and again, Wawatosa is going to have to decide what's excessive and what's not. And and it does. I mean, he looks to me like he more he throws a forearm more than a punch. But I, I don't want to argue the 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 thing about that. But it it's precipitated by the the resisting. And I guess that's the fundamental thing. You know, if it and I'm I'm in all honesty, I mean, I I understand that there's examples of you know racial disparities in the way people are treated. But I got to tell you, I still look at that. And you had a 17 year old white kid that's resisting in that fashion. That that police officer is taking you down, and I guess I I don't know that I'm convinced that oh he doesn't throw the forearm if it's a white kid who's resisting as well. We continue the conversation in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's two twenty one. This is Jeff Wagner. Two twenty four. Jeff Wagner. WTMJ. Let's talk to Joe and Oshkosh. Hi, Joe. Hello. What do you think? First off, uh, based on the video that was there, I have to side with the cops one hundred percent. Second. I'm sorry to call it out, but that last caller, I have to say, I have to claim as ignorant because there was nothing in that clip at all whatsoever that had anything to do with race. Now, if this cop has a history of racial slander, slurs, something of that nature, that needs to be addressed. There was zero in the clip. 
that had anything to do with the racial identity of that individual, aside from the fact that the police officer was white, the, the I won't even say victim, the criminal who was breaking the law and being non-compliant with orders from law enforcement was black. Well, I, I guess his point would be, though, if you had, I mean, I, the point he was making was that if it had been a, a, a 17-year-old white kid who was doing the same thing, the police officer wouldn't have thrown the forearm. That's what he thinks. I guess my thought is is whether the cop throws a forearm, tases, um, uses pepper spray, a baton, no matter what, if, if it's a white person or a black person, it doesn't matter. If they're being non-compliant to the orders by, by the law enforcement mm-hmm. officer, they're going to use whatever they deem is necessary force to stop the person from doing what they Well, you clearly wouldn't have let, if, if it was a white kid that was struggling in that same fashion, they wouldn't have let the kid walk away. I mean, you, you mean at some point in time, you're going to have to use reasonable force to bring the person under control. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm with you there. And, and like I say, if this, I'm with you. If the officer has a history of, you know, racial misconduct, that's fine. But otherwise, what you've got is you're trying to take a kid into custody, a person into custody. He's resisting arrest, and the struggle ensues. And if the kid had just complied, or if they hadn't engaged in disorderly conduct in the first place, we wouldn't be having this conversation. There's a novel concept. Let's teach our, our teens and our youth to be respectful to law enforcement. They are, believe it or not, law enforcement is there for the good. Well, yeah, no, th- thanks for the call. I mean, again, it's, and, and I mean, I, I am glad that for perspective, and I understand it's probably not going to change anybody's opinions one way or the other, but I'm very glad that that surveillance photo of the parking garage lot came out because it, it shows you more than the 13-second the clip. You look at the 13-second clip, and what it looks like is you've got a security guy, guard, that has the, this teenager under control, and you have the officer walking up and, and wailing on him. If you look at the, the larger minute-and-a-half video, big picture, you see it's a lot more complicated than that. And again, I it might turn out that they say that the officer's use of force was excessive. I'm hoping they had a body camera. I'm hoping there's dashboard cameras. And I'm hoping that there's a body camera as well to give everybody a better perspective on what happened. But I guess the rush to racialize it, I think, is a very, very disturbing sort of thing. And I understand. And and see, I appreciate that there's some legitimate stuff there. I also think that there's some people who think they benefit by that. It kind of helps them play into whatever agenda they have. And I think you saw some of that going on as well. It's 228. When we come back in just a couple minutes, I want to completely... Switch gears, no pun intended. I want to talk Harley Davidson. Stick around. It's 2.35. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. State Representative Peter Barca is deciding against the run for Congress. Who could still fill Paul Ryan's seat? Jane Matinair takes a look. 621 tomorrow on Wisconsin's Morning News. I do not want to do anything to discourage you from tuning in. 621 tomorrow on Wisconsin's Morning News. But I will give you the answer as to who's going to win that seat. I had, uh, matter of fact, I was, I said this at the start of the show, I was the MC for the um, Armed Forces Dinner last night that was held in downtown Milwaukee as kind of the, one of the centerpieces of the celebration of, of Armed Forces Week that's going to be going on the entire week. Um, the, the, the guy who's going to win that seat is a guy named Brian Style. He is, um, uh, for, he was actually worked for Paul Ryan for a number of years. He's an attorney. Um, worked in the in he's been a businessman for a number of years based out of Janesville an incredibly impressive candidate 
and he will coast to the Republican nomination. Um, the, the, the people that are running against him are Democrats or crazy that, that literally are running for the Republican nomination. The, the, the kid, Segway boy, he's running as a Republican. He'll get about 15 votes. And, um, it, Brian Style will win. We're going to have him on the program at some point in time. Um, and then assuming, assuming that since he's late into the campaign, assuming that he's able to generate and raise enough money to be competitive, and I think he will, he should win in a hand, he should win hands down. If you look at the comparison, the, the people on the Democratic side, um, and you, you look at Brian Style from a character standpoint, it's just, it's not even close. Um, very, very impressive guy, and, and that's who's going to win. It's going to be Brian Style in November. I would be shocked. Blue Wave or not, I will be shocked if it's anything other than that. Remember that name. He's going to replace Paul Ryan, and he's going to serve in Congress, I think, for a, a long period of time. All right, last week there was the um, Harley-Davidson's shareholders meeting, and it was controversial because uh, the, the, the company – decided not to allow news media inside the event. Now, this had not been an issue in previous years, um, and the media had been invited. Um, this is, of course, a, a different sort of year for Harley. Harley's been struggling. There's issues about CEO comp- uh, compensation, a lot of controversy about the planned closing of Harley's Kansas City plant, they're opening a plant in Thailand, apparently, as well. So, I mean, these are, are very controversial decisions that are being made, and they're not necessarily being um, built. They're not being viewed necessarily well by a lot of the shareholders and a lot of the people that have a lot invested in in Harley. Now, this plant in Thailand, they're building bikes there for the overseas market, and, and the idea is, we're going to put them there. We're going to build them there, so it'll be more efficient than building them, you know, here. But the the bottom line is that the amount of revenue coming into Harley is down. The profit margin that they were used to making is down, and so they're now kind of struggling and sort of figuring this out. Let's face it. One of the other issues that they have is their. Um, their their target population is is aging. I mean the baby boomers and stuff who who did go out and become the weekend warriors and invest you know the big amount of money in the bikes and stuff. They're they're aging out of this, and so if you look at it long term, Harley's trying to figure out how is it that they can bring in again attract those younger riders. Um, a lot of times the younger riders who aren't going to have the dough. To, to buy, you know, the, the big bikes that make all the, the money. You know, Harley's tried um, for, you know, a, a couple times to try to see if they can go after, like, the crotch rockets and things like that, and, and that just hasn't worked as well. So I wanted to open up the phone lines because there, there's nothing, I mean, Harley-Davidson, a significant American com- company, means a lot to this country, it means a lot to the state of Wisconsin, and it sure as heck means a lot to Milwaukee. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. These are challenging. I'm going to use that word: challenging times for Harley Davidson. Does that company survive and thrive, or is this the start of a decline? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. 
What's the future of Harley? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 241. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 244, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, Justin text. I think Harley-Davidson needs to separate itself into two distinct, completely opposite entities. Classic Harley, gradually ramping down as its core customers age beyond their riding years and eventually pass away. Huh. Thus no longer being even apparel customers. And then a completely new, high-tech, clean, quiet, green entity with a catchy new name and products and apparel geared to young customers as guided by young employees like those recently given the summer riding internships. Time and markets are changing, and they must adapt, or else they will perish like many um, retailers. Let's talk to Dave and Racine. Dave, hello. Greetings and salutations. Yes, sir. I think the way they survive is, you know, they have to evolve. Well, look what happened to IBM, how big that was, you know, the biggest electronics company in the world. And because they stuck strictly with mainframes and, sure. you know, typewriters, they kind of uh, went, you know, uh, went away, you know, sure. very... Well, look, at all, right, look at all the camera companies, you know, I mean, yeah. Kodak, and I mean, it, that is the biggest thing in the world. So now, they're going to have to go with something maybe electric. I wonder if they, if you can make a smart motorcycle, you know, like a, like a smart car version of a motorcycle or... Maybe uh, the electrics or like a market to women who seem to be the millennial class seem to be the ones who are more risk takers or uh, for the uh, ride sharing thing have the motorcycles with the sidecar. Of course, I think of duck soup when I think of motorcycles with sidecars. Uh, yeah. Well, you're, thanks to you, Dave. You're you're dating yourself in, in a big way there. Now, I mean, I, I, I all is not necessarily doom and gloom. I mean, I I know people who work in that industry, and you know, on an individual basis, they're doing quite well. And this isn't a new problem that that Harley's had, but I think it's again, it's it's really starting to it, it's starting to hit home, and you have to figure out how you're going to adapt. Because the truth of the matter is, if you look at a lot of the people who are buying the bikes for bikers, they're people who are in their 40s and 50s and, and 60s. Um, they're, they're not necessarily the people who are, you know, in their 20s. And there's nothing I, – I, I don't know that you have a lot of people who are in their 20s who aspire to that. Okay, Gru, you're, you're in your early 30s. What – I mean, do, do you aspire do, – do you want a Harley – would you want a, a Harley-Davidson motorcycle? You prefer Hondas. You prefer Hondas. Why is that? Your dad used to ride a Honda and stuff. So, okay, it, all right. Okay, that's my producer, Gru, at 620 WTMJ. Let's talk to Mike in West Dallas. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. So uh, some of the decisions to move manufacturing out of Wisconsin to do these bikes, you know, that I, I they went there with Buell, and they had it in their backyard. I don't understand some of the decisions behind, you know, you shut down a factory that has 100,000-plus motorcycles into your early rider programs, and it was a thing that you're trying to bridge that gap, right. and you had it. And why would you abandon it, and now you're trying to rebuild it? Yeah. That's my... No, I mean, so, I mean... <sighs> I, I, I guess you know, that was the whole. You're right. That that was the whole idea with Buell that it was going to be okay. This is going to be, this is how we're going after the the younger subset of riders. We're going after the the, the millennials and all. And and they bailed on that. Now I'm not sure they know what to do next. Correct. Well, um, thanks for taking no, my call. Well, thanks for calling. I appreciate it. No, I mean it's. And again, it, it, I don't know that all is doom and gloom. And I I, I don't I don't think that Harley Davidson is right now like like a newspaper 
I don't think it's like um, you know blockbuster video, but there there are there are challenges there, and you, you've got to kind of figure it out because you know they 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 benefited from this period of time where I think lots of people, guys and gals, I mean they they aspire to you know get get the big Harley and then go off on the open road. I think if you look at the younger generation, that's that's not what the aspiration is. And so, again, as people age out, it creates a problem. Chris in Madison. Chris, you're on WTMJ. Hello. That's uh, interesting. Just what you were talking about is how I've been feeling is the whole Harley thing is just so cliche. You know, these it's like doctors and lawyers, they ride around with the scowl on their face <laughs> like they're so bad and mean. And, and I think the younger generation looks at that just kind of laughs a little bit. It's time to change and get up with the times and... It, it, it's just time to move on. Time to do something a little less loud, a little less obnoxious, and maybe a little, maybe a little greener. You know, a, you know, a little yeah. bit greener. Something like. Are, are, are you? Do you ride yourself, Chris? I I don't anymore. I have two friends that are paralyzed. Yeah. Uh, they were both hit by other people. One was on a Harley. One was on a street bike, and they were just broadsided. The other, they were just sitting there, and both got hit by people not paying attention. So it scares me and. I love motorcycles, but think of it this way: it's probably the coolest car on the market right now is a Tesla. <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm no. Thinking motorcycles could do something like that, boy, you'd have a screaming market there. No, well, I mean, no, thanks. Well, no, again, and I think especially for uh, a lot of younger people, a lot of the millennials, it's it's big. You know, they're they're talking about green. This this is. I was talking to somebody today about cemetery plots. I, I, and he and he was telling there's a long story behind that. I'll tell it on the radio sometime. But the guy was telling me about how uh, they estimate that by you know X certain year people aren't going to get buried anymore. Every, everybody wants cremation because it's kind of like the the green aspect. Don't mean to be too morbid. Actually, there's some funny stories about that. I'll tell in a little while or tell next day or so or two. Bill in Richfield. Bill, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Bill. Hey. Uh, just a, I, I owned a, I'm 50. I owned a motorcycle in my 20s, and I loved it. It, it is so great to have the wind through your hair and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But you know what? It's so dangerous out now. The roads are aren't safe. There's a ton of potholes everywhere. The other problem is um, is is so much distracted driving, like the yeah. gentleman said before you. I mean, you know, it, you're taking your life into your hands when you get on a motorcycle nowadays, and it's just too dangerous. Right. So you just kind of made that. So when did you stop riding? Uh, late twenties, you know, okay. once, once you started to get, you know, you, you know, life flaps you in the face a little bit, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, this is a little too dangerous. Right. So. No, you're, thanks for, no, you I mean, you, you're not, you're not mortal and, and things like that. My, um, um, the, the, the women in my life have, have always, that, that's always, that nobody, uh, nobody has ever told me I can't do anything with the exception of the fact that the both of. The, the loves of my life both said you can't ride motorcycles. We, you know, we just that, that was it, and maybe that's they figured that I wouldn't be able to do it. And I, I understand it, but it was it, that that message comes out of love. Tom in Sheboygan. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, um, thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. So, um, like I was telling your uh, your interviewer, he, mm-hmm. you know, I've I'm 43. I've had a motorcycle since I was a teenager. Everybody in my family pretty much rides. Um, my bike is, uh, I have a CBO, an 05, a 2005 CBO mm-hmm. road team. And um, 
it only has 16,000 miles on it because I, I traverse back and forth to work. I work in Milwaukee, and I have to be able to answer my phone. Right. And I can't even get, if I wanted to sell my bike, my wife said to me uh, about a year or so ago, she's like, Tom, you don't even ride your motorcycle anymore. Why don't you just sell it? <laughs> right. Because and, and the house could use a new coat of paint. Sell that bike. Yeah. 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 And I, I said, you know, I really like it once in a while, but, boy, you know, I couldn't even get half the money and as much as I love my motorcycle, I love my Road King, um, I couldn't even get half the money back out of it. And if I decided that I wanted to go out and buy a new one, a new one would almost cost twice as much. And the market is so saturated. Mm-hmm. You know, for instance, in 1993, there was still a waiting list for Harley, right. for a new Harley. Now, you know, 20-some years later, it's you can, you can go to any Harley dealership and choose between 20 used bikes and... 20 new bikes and the trading from dealership to dealership, you can get anything you want the next day. Right. It, it used to never be that way. Right. So, so it, right. So the, and, and again, so you attribute that to kind of uh, keeping down, it, it, like there's not the resale value. So, you know, you're not going to get out of are, the, yeah. Harleys are a dime a dozen nowadays. So, you know, if, if it's for the guy that wants to hold on to that image and like your, uh, your buddy there said, there's so many other bikes. I have Yamahas. I have I have mm-hmm. a lot of motorcycles. I have okay. Yamahas and I have Hondas, and I only have one Harley. Right. And um, I ride I ride whatever I, I ride what is suiting for me that day, at, on during my recreational time. So no, I'm not I'm not uh, I'm not sold on Harleys anymore. Oh, interesting. Well, thanks for perspective. I have a number of texts on this. Um, Don in Milwaukee says I'm in my early 60s and I've been riding most of my adult life. I would love a Harley, but with the short riding system in Wisconsin, I simply can't justify the price. It, it's way too expensive for the limited time I have. Th- these are all, I think, valid points. Look, I, I hope, I, I hope they're able to figure this out because as I was saying before, you know, Harley Davidson, a great American company, uh, their comeback is a great American success story. It's a great Wisconsin success story. It is a great Milwaukee success story. There's no question about it, but, this this is an industry, and it's a company that faces challenges moving forward. Um, and I don't know what the future of the company is going to look like. I, I I just don't. It's going to be interesting to see. Okay, it is two fifty five when we come back. John McCure is in here. We'll find out what he's got on his mind for Wisconsin's afternoon news. Please stick around. This is Jeff Wagner.